Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I am Jason. I am John. La 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 la. La la la. What's your question? Come on, let's get right into this, because these issues can't wait. Alright, so you are putting on... <laughs> a, a musical? A stage production. Of course, I do that all the time. Of A Christmas Carol. Mm. For the Avengers, they're doing it for charity. All right. So, who do we cast as Scrooge? Vision. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah, Vision works as a perfect Scrooge. Uh-huh. Who is the ghost of Christmas past? Does the... Uh, which one's Christmas past? Is that the jolly happy one? Is that the... Like, yes, that's the jolly happy one. Uh, I would... Be, no, wait, no, no. No, no, that's that's ghost of Christmas present. Present is a jolly happy one. Is it the girl? The girl is ghost of Christmas past. Oh, uh... Well, it probably have to be Scarlet Witch, right? Because she's got to be all kind of like, ooh, I'm a, I'm a witch, woo! You know who <laughs> I'd pick? I'd pick the Wasp because she is stuck in 1954. <laughs> all right. Now, ghost of... Of Christmas present. Well, that would be Beast. It's got to be like the really? jovial joking kind I'd of guy. I'd pick Hercules. Oh, God. We, but we, that's why we, yeah. we, we can have different different ghosts. What about yeah. your ghost of Christmas yet to come? That's the scary one, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Yellow Jacket because he gets violent. <laughs> <laughs> Vision would be good if we hadn't used him for Scrooge, but I think he makes a good Scrooge, so I'm okay with that. Yeah. Maybe we could uh, cast the Grim Reaper in that. Uh, can, we, can, <laughs> we borrow, can we borrow him for this production? Really funny. Uh, what about uh, What about Bob Cratchit? Jarvis? <laughs> oh, I like that a lot. I mean, farther down the road, it would be good to make that like uh, yellow uh, Hank Pym after he's fallen from grace of a gazillion times. Yeah. But for now, um, yeah, I like Jarvis. Uh, who's Tiny Tim? I feel like I've used all the good ones already. If you're gonna do it with someone tiny, it would have to be like it would be the wasp. But I've already used know, or her yellow throat. jacket. But I already used that one. Yeah, Pip the troll. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, he's dead. Oh, uh, all righty. <sighs> Previously on the Avenging Hour, I, I don't know. It was a two-part <laughs> fill-in with a bunch of villains no one will ever see again. We're barely treading water here. And now episode 81. Oh, I'm first. Yay. You are first. Uh, this is this issue is an important issue, I guess. Yes. But almost nothing happens. So my write-up is brief but insightful, hopefully. I don't know. <laughs> this is issue 181 from March of 1979. It is written by David Michelinie with art by John Byrne who draws a really weird-looking moon dragon for some reason. And it is called On the Matter of Heroes. I'm, I'm not sure why there's an exclamation point there. That doesn't seem like something that you would announce. Because there's always an exclamation point. Ah, <sighs> oh, isn't this sweet? Wonder Man and Beast are on a date at the movies, catching a matinee of the adventures of Robin Hood at the Regency. They emerge into the glare of the afternoon sun, holding hands, still smitten over their budding relationship. Wonder Man wants to talk about expectations. Beast, despite his useless disguise, wants to show off. When they make their way back to the mansion and try to enter, they are attacked by a new security system. What's going on? I'm glad you asked. It seems Henry Peter Gyrick, our National Security Council liaison, is back, and he's making some improvements to the doors. One can only hope he's also installing new walls, but I don't know what the budget looks like. Tony Stark has brought in one of his employees, a guy named Scott Lang, to do the installation. With that explaining out of the way... Gyrick calls the heroes to the meeting room for some more announcements. Before we go there, though, let's see this brief interlude where that old man with the puppets from a billion issues ago gets out of a taxi outside the mansion. All right, back inside the mansion. <laughs> <laughs> Our 70-member team huddles around the crowded table. Gyrick looks down at his clipboard and announces that in order to maintain proper security clearance, the Avengers roster will be limited to seven core members. And then, despite Iron Man's protest as team leader, he proceeds to name those exact seven <laughs> members. Iron Man, Vision, Captain America, Scarlet Witch, Beast, Wasp, and our equal opportunity member, Falcon. Hawkeye is rightfully upset that he's bumped from the lineup. 
Iron Man and Quicksilver try to stick up for him, but Cap interjects that their priority status is at risk, so let's not get racist. In the midst of arguing, Quicksilver has a stroke and collapses. <laughs> no, no, wait, I think he's dead. No, wait, he's just soulless. Huh? Look, I don't know what's going on, but considering they've cut to a panel of that old bearded guy digging around in a duffel bag, I'm assuming this isn't some innocent neurological event. Just to be safe, we'd better have the world's greatest doctor check in on him. Dr. Blake says, well, he's not breathing or moving, but I'm sure he'll be fine. What a relief. <laughs> he's the world's best, huh? Jarvis packs a bag lunch for the Guardians of the Galaxy, who were here for no discernible reason. Wonder Man packs his bags and announces he's going to become an actor. Yellow Jacket seems to be relieved that he doesn't have to pretend to be a hero anymore, and everyone but Hawkeye flies off to find something better to do. As the team makes their way back into the mansion, Scarlet Witch collapses as suddenly as her brother. And now we've got two dead but not dead mutants. And here's that bearded guy rooting around in his luggage again. But what's this? He's pulled out two tiny bird cages, and inside those cages are doll-like versions of the Maximoff twins, and they look a bit frightened. To be continued. You know, it's funny, I, I had emailed you earlier in the week and I said, oh, my write-up for this issue is going to be short because all I remembered when I read it was the stuff about the lineup thing and I completely forgot about the bearded guy and then I started paging through it again. I'm like, oh, God, I got to talk about that. A roll call. Uh, our official government lineup is Iron Man, Captain America, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Wasp, Beast, and despite not appearing in this issue, Falcon. We also have some hangers-on in the form of Hawkeye, Wonder Man, Thor, Yellow Jacket, Moon Dragon, Black Panther, Black Widow... Hercules, Quicksilver, Jocasta, Captain Marvel, and Ms. Marvel. Jarvis is making snacks. For some reason, the Guardians of the Galaxy are also here. Henry Peter Gyrick is back. Our villain appears to be an old man. <laughs> and we also get the first appearance of Scott Lang. Scott Lang is likely familiar to any Marvel movie fans who saw Ant-Man. And he will appear as Ant-Man in next month's issue of Marvel Premiere. He's an electronics expert who spent some time in prison for burglary. On his release, he was hired by Stark International. However, his daughter soon became ill, and needing to find a surgeon to help his daughter, he broke into Hank Pym's home and stole the Ant-Man suit. He rescued the surgeon from the villainous Cross Technologies, and his daughter was saved. Yay! When he tried to return the suit, Pym told him to keep it, and after dying and coming back to life, he is currently running around the Marvel Universe as Ant-Man once again. He has been a member of the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and the Future Foundation, the Defenders, and Heroes for Hire. Yeah, I figured we'd talk about him more the next time he shows up as actually Ant-Man. Yeah. But it was cool because when I saw him, I'm like, oh, I, w I didn't realize he'd appeared already uh, in the Marvel Universe. That's cool that they brought Ant-Man in. And then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, he's not Ant-Man yet. No, he's just Scott he's Lang. He's just Scott Lang. It's kind of weird. He's here for this issue. And then, like I said, he shows up in next month's comics. Yeah. I don't know if they had plans for him. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing. Like, they must have already known they were going to do another Ant-Man. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that they had. I'm sure that this was just seeding... Yeah, but why would you do it? You would have thought he would have done it a couple issues back to kind of like have a storyline going instead of just, hey, everybody, I'm Scott Lang. <laughs> yeah, we'll be at next month's Marvel premiere. <laughs> well, he's so unimportant in this issue. Right. But he has a name, which is odd. You think about those two guys that moved Jocasta in, they just had first names. Right. They went into a whole thing. This is Scott Lang. Maybe they'll get superhero identities shortly as well. I am waiting. When uh, the Beast and Wonder Man at the movie, it's really interesting. They use a still. They use yeah. a photograph it's from like the a, movie rather than... It's like Fumetti. It is like Fumetti, yeah. Which was, was a big thing, while well, Jack Kirby liked it a lot in the 70s. And at the bottom, they actually, in the credits, in the indicia there, they mention the, the movie at the very bottom. Oh, yeah, The Adventures of Robin, copyright 1938, Warner Brothers Pictures. Like it was used by permission. But the Beast is called a Blue Wookiee by some kid, which yeah. I found amusing. Nice reference. And there's an interesting philosophical discussion going on between the Wonder, between the Wonder Man... Between Wonder Man and the Beast. Between Wonderful Man. <laughs> as they leave... 
the theater where Wonder Man doesn't understand why America is so fascinated by heroes. And the Beast tries to explain it to him that, you know, they give them something more exciting than their ordinary lives. But isn't Wonder Man like, but it's the ordinary people that are the real heroes. Well, I mean, Wonder Man's more like, considering the life I live right now, I kind of wouldn't mind being ordinary. I, I, I'm not sure that I completely agree with the Beast. Maybe I do. I mean, is that why people like heroes? Because their lives are boring and the heroes make their lives more interesting? I don't know. Why is Beast bothering to wear a disguise if he's going to jump around and show off? No, there's that too. Maybe he figures since they were heading back to the mansion, he was like Joe Cassidy not to keep that anymore. I'm surprised he didn't throw the jacket off. He actually keeps it on the whole time. Henry Gyrick, I think we both agree, is well within his rights to want better security at the mansion. Oh, yes. We've been saying that this should have been done years ago, that the security at the mansion has always been horrible. In fact... Iron Man says, no, I'm sorry, Tony Stark thinks security has been a bit lax lately. Really, Tony? Lately? (laughs) We have at least three walls left. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, ever since you guys moved into the mansion, it's been horrible. I agree with you. I had notes as well. When we get the big group shot of everybody at the mansion, why are the Guardians of the Galaxy there? Did they want to join the team? I don't know. I'm assuming, that honestly, sadly, I'm assuming they're there for padding. They're on the cover, too. To to make it, you know, so that they control even more, to make it look like there's so many heroes. I mean, Captain Marvel's there. Is Captain Marvel really thinking of joining the Avengers? And why isn't Hellcat there? Moondragon's there. Yeah, well, Hellcat wasn't in the Korvac saga. Did she just shove her in a closet somewhere and leave? (laughs) I'm afraid so. It, It just seems... Where's Mantis and Green Swordsman? Where's the Hulk, as always? Yeah, right. Where Where's the, the Black Knight statue? Maybe it wants to join. Come on, this just isn't fair. I completely understand why Iron Man is miffed that Henry Peter Garrick picks the team members. Yeah, it's you... one thing to limit them to seven, but for him to actually pick the team, I get why that's annoying. That I... being said, for him, I mean, maybe if they had conferred on it, yes. maybe if he asked for suggestions and then they kind of had some sort of formula for how they picked the people they picked, I think he makes some kind of comment about it. But that being said, the team he picks... It's actually a really solid team. Yeah, they got rid of Yellow Jacket. <laughs> uh, I mean, you've got your you've got your super strength. You've got your your tactical leadership. You've got your your scientist. You've got your 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 technology guy. You've got your magic. You've got your reconnaissance. You got your person that's scared of birds. You got, <laughs> you got your flight. I mean, the, the team really does. I can't think of I can't think of a box that this team does not check, except I guess possibly um, really psionics. And they don't really ever have Sonics in the Avengers. They could have left Hawkeye in the team and, and replaced Wasp with Falcon. I don't know. What are you saying? What does Wasp bring to the team? She flies. She's good so at... So does rec- Falcon. She's good at reconnaissance because she's small and she can sneak around. So is Falcon because he has a bird. Well, the real problem is by leaving Wasp on the team and adding Falcon, she now has to be on the team with a bird. Right? That's terrifying. And I don't know how this is going to work out. They can't be in the same room at the same time. I'm guessing by... By, you know, within a few issues. They're going to have to drop, like, some kind of Magna Carta. One of them will be dead. <laughs> Either the Wasp will be dead with her eyes pecked out, or the Falcon, the Falcon's Falcon, will be, like, served up by Jarvis for dinner at the I mansion. I his name is Red Wing. Uh, and I love, I do love that he picked the Wasp and not Yellow Jacket. Of course, that made me so happy. Good for you at Gyrick. I don't want to know, like, if he had them, like, he had printouts of their pictures side by side, and, and he's sitting, like... Like an interrogation room in a police station, you know, where it's all dark and just that one overhead light. <laughs> and he's got them all, all their pictures spread out on a table, and he's got Wasp and Yellow Jacket next to each other, and he's going, hmm. 
this one or this one? You know, I've been a fan of of this entire plotline of of the of the government finally getting involved with the Avengers. Oh, sure. I think it's been fascinating from the word go, and I love the idea that the government, because if you're getting government funding, you have to deal with their programs, and I love the fact that they would have to deal with equal opportunity. The bureaucracy, I mean, yeah. It makes perfect sense that they would be forced to have a more diverse lineup. I'm not sure if I agree with you in the in being fascinated by how this plot's worked out so far, because I think it started out kind of stupid. Really? With, with Gyrick trying, you know, like the mysterious redheaded stranger kind of well, thing. Well, like it could granted. be handled differently. But I Especially do like that the idea. government. I can't imagine that they would have tried to be that obtuse. I, I especially like the fact that they're forcing a more diverse team onto this group because the Avengers certainly traditionally have been very bad at having a diverse group of heroes. Sure. And they if they're going to be the heroes that represent American government. They have to kind of fit the part, right? And unfortunately, for the next, I don't know how many, I mean, until, probably until sometime in the 2000s, they will continue to be bad at diversity. There will usually, it will usually be a team dominated by white men. I have a whole different outlook on Hawkeye now, now that I've read this issue. He's mad that he got left out because of equal opportunity stuff. I think he actually went out and made himself get deaf so he could be the disabled hero. He's <laughs> like, you have to put me on the team, I have a disability. Yeah, we'll talk about Hawkeye and his deafness <laughs> coming up. And this is the first issue where Wonder Man mentions wanting to be an actor. Yeah. That that's what he's going to do. And this will be a, a, a huge part of his character for the for the next forever. The fact that one, that's basically what Wonder Man is. For as long as he wears that dumb costume. Uh, and even beyond that. Uh, and, and his reason for trying to be an actor is interesting, which is quickly forgotten. But his I, the idea is, I'm always so afraid in a fight, maybe if I learn how to act... Maybe I can pretend. I can, <laughs> I'll feel more comfortable being a superhero. I'm not sure that that logic stands, but it's interesting. That's all the notes I got. You got anything oh, we need to talk no, about? No, we covered it all. What about the soapbox of Stan? Ugh, I have one sentence written down. Stan's soapbox reveals the origins of Irving Forbush, and it really isn't all that interesting. The origin of Irving Forbush is we create... And I don't know if we really talked about Irving Forbush, and I doubt anybody in the 70s cares that much. But in the 60s, they used to mention Irving Forbush all the time in the bullpen bulletins. Like, it was a big joke. I don't think we even see him again until they start doing that What the yeah. comedy series. And Stan says people want to know where he came from. And the... I mean, come on. The <laughs> Nobody whole, wants to know that. The whole, I, the whole point of Irving Forbush is we made him up. And that's basically an entire column saying we made him up. I mean, he tries to say he was inspired by, like, Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine and that sort of thing. And then some other thing that I've never heard of. But really, they made him up. It's that simple. He was supposed to be the company mascot or something. Did you have anything on the bullpen bulletins? I No, I didn't. There wasn't anything to do with the Avengers. What surprised me about the bullpen bulletins is how little of it is about superheroes. Yeah. It's basically all about their licensed properties right now. Which is much, much different. That's like two out of the last three bullpen bulletins have been like that. Oh, the 70s. What about, oh, the letters at the back again? The yeah, letters at the back again. There's nothing interesting there. Really? No, I no. find that interesting. So, okay, I have something that I found interesting. So, Jacob Lasky, Jacob Lasky of Brooklyn writes a letter about the Korvac saga. And it made me start thinking about the Korvac saga in a way I had not thought of before. And I began to think that maybe... I was too harsh on Moondragon. Because if you remember, I railed against Moondragon saying, why didn't she try to stop the fight once she realized Korvac wasn't a threat? You know, she just stands there and cries the whole issue instead of trying to get everyone to stand down. But I'm wondering if she didn't try to stop the fight because she realized once the fight started, it was already too late. There was no point. Because even if she had stopped, if, even if she had stopped that fight, we are led to believe 
that the great cosmic powers of the universe had our, as soon as the fight started, knew Korvac, knew where he was, who he was, and what he was planning, somehow, and would have would have rallied against him. And so maybe she felt that trying to stop the fight, wh- what good would that have done? Would the Avengers have stood with Michael and fought cosmic entities? Would Maybe she felt that at that point in time, the die had been cast, and the only way that this could end was with Michael's death. That's not really fair, because I thought that the whole fight began because Michael was upset that the heroes had discovered him in the first place. And if you want to go back even further, the reason the heroes did discover him was Moondragon's fault. Agreed, but my point being, at that point in time, she thought he was a threat. And she said once the fight started, she reached into his mind and realized he was not a threat. But could she have done that sitting in her little yoga studio before they even went there? Well, she possibly could have, but she didn't. So, on her and her crying. Anyway, MVP. We're not going to rehash the Korvac saga. I'm assuming you don't want to do that any more than I do. I just, I will say that his letter made me think about it more than I had. My MVP is Wonder Man for taking this whole thing in stride. They kicked him off the team and he's like, I'm going to go be an actor. I uh, I pick Captain America for trying to smooth over Gyrick's changes with the rest of the team. I mean, Captain America probably of everyone on the team has dealt with bureaucracy more than anybody else. And I feel like he's very good this issue in trying to keep Iron Man and Gyrick from trying to kill each other. I didn't think of it at the time, but Falcon was like Captain's partner too, so he might be like, no, no, it's cool, man. Yeah. Falcon's cool. Get yeah. out of here, Hawkeye. Well, <laughs> though, honestly, if you, if you can't use Black Panther on a team and you need an African-American superhero, who else do you use? Luke Cage? I mean, he's like the only other one available, I think, at this point in time. Bill Foster? <laughs> oh, that's right. Bill Foster. <laughs> I forgot about Bill Foster. And they know him, too, don't they? They do. Pim, Pim could have recommended him. Oh, well, Pim would never recommend him. Uh, useless character? Uh, Dr. Don Blake. <laughs> it, you know, I find it hard to pick a useless character here, because they're all good. I, I mean, Hawkeye? I mean, he's angry, but I really can't say that I blame him. I understand where he's coming from. I guess you could say the Guardians of the Galaxy were the useless characters, <laughs> because why were they there? Yeah, right? Did you have a, a quote? Yeah. My favorite line of dialogue taken out of context. I feel strange about it too, Beast. <laughs> I don't have one taking it, taken out of context, but I can I just say I loved Hawkeye's line of, hey, is a bear Catholic? I have no <laughs> idea what that means, but I absolutely love it. Avengers level threat? No. no. There's not really a threat <laughs> here yet. So. Some mutants keeling over? No, that's not really a threat. I have a feeling that we're going to disagree on this. Final grade? I gave it a C plus. There's some intrigue with the twins collapsing, and I like seeing the government get involved, but not a lot happened here. I gave it an A minus. <laughs> wow! I really like this issue. And maybe it's the process geek in me, but I love, I think the character work is strong and it's solid. I loved the interaction between Gyrick and the team, and with the team amongst themselves. I thought the characterizations were spot on. We've got a good artist again. We've got John Byrne, and the book looks good. And it sets up a villain for the next issue. <laughs> okay. I think perhaps what made me happy about this issue is it feels like this is the beginning of something. Like, I feel like this issue gives the book direction. That's why I gave it a C plus. It's above average. Yeah. Did you look back at Burns' drawings of Moondragon? She does look really weird. She at least one of those panels. Very Asian or something. Yes, that's exactly how she... Maybe he thinks she is Asian. Maybe Jerry, um, maybe Jerry Conway didn't tell him. Like, right there? Yeah. Yeah, Asian or alien... All right, we got one more issue. All right, Avengers issue 182. This is from April 1979. It's by David Michelini and John Byrne. And it is called Honor Thy Father. Well, so you couldn't figure out how to pronounce John Byrne? <laughs> well, no. Because it's... We keep saying David Michelini, but I believe it's David Michelini. Michelini. Does, does that matter? Well, it's it's putting in fastest on different syllables. I was thinking it was... Because they said pickle my knee. Pickle my knee. So it would be Michelini. 
not Michelini. Well, they didn't say which. Did they say which word out of pickle my knee got the inf- emphasis? But don't you normally emphasize pickle my knee? It could have been Michelini. pickle my knee. Okay, never. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Michelini or Michelini. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think that I think that the pronunciation thing was there to let us know that it was Michelini instead of Michelini or something like that. Anyway, so right to recap. <laughs> Please do. Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch are in a sort of suspended animation at Avengers Mansion. And even Don Blake, the most amazing, smartest, most resourceful, and best doctor in the whole wide world... See, you did it too. ...doesn't know why. What's even more mind-boggling about this entire situation is that Yellow Jacket's ant friends can't explain what's happened. Right? <laughs> There's no psychic storm. Mind blown. Do you think Don Blake has a mug that says World's Best Doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Pim's ants have mugs that say World's Best Ant? <laughs> they fight over it. They just scratch out the U. <laughs> Luckily, Jocasta's still hanging around, since Gyrick thought she was just a toaster, and she <laughs> sensed an energy when our mutant twins collapsed. One she's traced to the Bowery. With this information at hand, the Avengers are off. Meanwhile, in the Bowery, we get our favorite comics device, the Flashback. At least this one is occurring without the need for cosmic sex. In this case, the old man who's been the cause of all this trouble is laying down the 411 for the cute little puppet versions of Wanda and Pietro. We find out that he is Django Maximoff, a gypsy from Central Casting, and the twins were his children, Swift, Matteo, and Magical Anna. They'd been such a happy family, if one finds happiness in centuries-old stereotypes, until Django had been forced to steal to feed his family, resulting in a lynch mob attacking their caravan, their mother dying when said mob lit their wagon on fire, and the twins running away in a panic and falling into a river. Django himself was then knocked out, and when he later tried to find the twins, he had no luck. He eventually settled in Vladivostok, Russia, where against all odds he became embroiled in a Spider-Woman plot, thanks to his new hobby of carving little wooden puppets. He eventually read about the Avengers and has been saving his rubles until the day he could come here and reclaim his children. Wanda and Pietro vehemently deny everything he's saying, and we're all beginning to think that he may be a tad easy cray. Before we can delve further into that, the Avengers arrive. Django uses his magic stone to animate some nearby mannequins to stop the group, and thank goodness that he's in the part of the Bowery with lots of theatrical supply warehouses and not the one with all the sex shops. <laughs> Soon, it's the battle we've all wanted to see as the Avengers battle blank-faced, unspeaking pieces of wood. It's like an unaired David Duchovny special. Of course, the Avengers easily blast the mannequins, but as they enter the building, Django uses the magic stone to make the interior seem like an early Steve Ditko Doctor Strange issue. Django tells the Avengers that everything Anna and Mateo has done wrong is their fault, and to punish them, he calls up versions of their greatest enemies. Nighthawk, the Toad, and Princess Python. Excuse me a second. Avengers level threat? No! Wait, these three are actually much more powerful than their real counterparts, which is admittedly a bar that you can step over. Still, this trio is actually formidable and the battle actually becomes fun when the Toad uses his tongue to eat the Wasp and Yellow Jacket. Yay! You know, I may begin to like Django. <laughs> Sadly, just when the battle is getting enjoyable, with Iron Man throwing a sink at Princess Python... One of the drunks in the boarding house yells at the Avengers to keep it down, and they realize that this is all just an illusion. Django tries to flee, but when the Vision blasts his magic stone to pieces, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver find their consciousness transferred back to their bodies. Their consciousnesses. <laughs> and for some reason, I stopped recapping the issue at that point. No, that's pretty much it. Uh, they go back to the mansion, and the Scarlet Witch decides to take a leave of absence 
so that her and Quicksilver can go back to wherever they're from. Where are they? Uh, Stanconia. No, that's not right. <laughs> uh, they're gonna go. They're gonna take Django Maximoff home. Our roll call this issue is Vision, Iron Man, Wasp, Beast, Scarlet Witch, and Captain America. We also see Thor. Well, we see Doctor Don Blake, not Thor. Yeah, whoa. <laughs> we see Hawkeye, Yellow Jacket, Henry Peter Garrick, Jocasta, Wonder Man, and Quicksilver. And our villains this issue are Django Maximoff and images of Princess Python, Nighthawk, and the Toad. This was not good. Oh my god, I love this issue. <laughs> really? Yes, I love it. We'll talk about that later. But um, Clearly. Uh, you know, it's it's amusing because Garrick made it a point to pare down the team, and yet there's still a ton of hangers on here at Avengers <laughs> Mansion. Besides, besides Thor hanging out in his civilian identity, you've got Hawkeye, you've got Wonder Man, you've got Jocasta. Yeah, that was my last note. Why are they all still there? Didn't he tell them they had to leave by the end of the day? He did. They don't care. Uh, starting from the very beginning, Wasp comes flying into the room and she lands on Beast's shoulder. Why would she do that? It's comfy because he's covered in fur. It's like, it's like sitting on a carpet. Seems rather personal. She's the wasp. I, I'd see that as perfectly in character. I could see her doing that. Um, and he really would be the... If, if I were able to turn into a wasp, he would be the most comfortable Avenger to sit on. Yeah, all the ladies are attracted to the beast. Well, to sit on him, mm. so to speak. Yep. I love the way Jocasta handles Skyrim. <laughs> on a list of things I wanted to see in my comic book this month, government stooge upstaged by a machine. I can check that box off. She's great, though, because he is very anti... I mean, he's like, what the who was about? And she is so good. Yeah, but where did she get this personality all of a sudden? I don't know, but it's about time she began to develop one. The Vision developed a personality slowly yeah, over time. Yes she, and no. And she's he a has female Vision. Vision. And he still keeps to a... He still acts rather machine-like in his mannerisms and his emotional... She just, like, all of a sudden, hey... Although I guess she did come from the Wasp. I was just going to say that she came from the Wasp, whereas the uh, Vision came from Wonder Man, who had no personality because he was written in the Silver Age, whereas she comes from the Wasp, who's had a ton of time to have a personality. Not all of it good, but certainly a personality. I buy it. I'm all for it. They need to do something with... Jo if they're going to keep Jocasta around, they need to do something with her. And this is a wonderful... Chance to start developing her as a character. But they're not keeping her around. She has to leave. Well, so he says. But nobody else will listen to Gyrick, so why should she? Uh, my problem with Jocasta this issue, though, she's a robot. How does she track an organic, non-electric energy source? Magic is just a different form of energy, <laughs> as Doctor Strange would say. Magic is just science that hasn't been explained yet. Yes. <laughs> right. No. Django talks about... This origin story Django. sucks. Go. Django talks about his... Uh, when he talks about his origin, he references a Spider-Woman story. That Spider-Woman story, basically, he had... He's barely in it. He had whittled these dolls, and he sold them to a woman by the name of Priscilla Dolly. It looks like he sold them to Vladimir Lenin. Well, Priscilla Dolly <laughs> was Lenin? working with the Brothers Grimm. I was going to ask, is, did he create the Brothers Grimm? Because he's holding a puppet of one of them he didn't, he didn't create them per se but yeah I think his work was kind of a model for them Priscilla Dolly her husband was a supervillain who fought Iron Man in the Silver Age who called himself Mr. Dolly because <laughs> nobody strikes fear in your heart like someone named Mr. Dolly Turner D. Century it's Mr. who also was a foe of Spider-Woman is it Dolly D-O-L-L-Y yes oh, wow the um he also mentions the I twins. I guess they couldn't use Doll Man because DC already had that. You know, so so right exactly. Mm -hmm. So the twins, first of all, who are not the Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, he just no, thinks they are Anna and Mateo because he's a crazy person, and they apparently probably died in the river that they fell into. <laughs> um, and I have to say, they these, never actually existed. These twins are moronic because they they 
they just fall into a river and they fall into the dark waters of the Muresul, M-U-R-E-S-U-L. Yeah, I didn't know what that was. Well, I can't find any reference to that as an actual river. There is a river in Eastern Europe called the Mures, M-U-R-E-S. So I'm wondering if that's the river that they were referencing. Because that is an actual river in Eastern Europe, which is where they're at. Well, I mean, you think of like Latveria isn't actually a country, but Latvia is. Yeah. So, so you throw a couple extra letters in there. And so that's probably what they did with, the, with like the, the Marvel version. They just moved the river a couple miles to the east and went, ah, that's a different river now. Why can I not? Transia. Isn't that where they're from? I think that might is be that right. the name of the country? I keep wanting to say Barovia, and I know that's not right. Uh, the wasp is used intelligently, this issue. When they're fighting the mannequins, she flies down into one of the mannequins and, and enlarges. She freaks out because she finds out it's filled with birds. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she enlarges herself, and so she just breaks the mannequin and she enlarges, which I thought was a really interesting use of her powers. I like visions better. Well, I think they're he all. He just makes himself more dense and just smashes it. I mean, come on, he could just walk through and just smash them all. I don't understand. Okay, I can accept that this magic stone thing brings these mannequins to life, but. How does it bring their guns to life? How does it give them, like, weapons that would actually be useful? It's magic. The mannequins seem like more of an annoyance than a threat. I think they are. I, I Well, we'll talk about this when we talk about the issue, because I think you're looking at this much differently than I am. Obviously. I have a problem when they... Are you going to go where they first go into the room? Oh, yeah, we can do that. Or did you have something before that? Nope, I sure don't. So they first go into his room. They open the door. They know they're in a hotel. They know that they're going into a hotel room. They first open the door... Iron Man is standing on outer space. <laughs> and Django is in his younger pirate form. <laughs> and he's also standing on outer space with the furniture from the hotel in the room. And yet they're still tricked by his illusions? They know that they're in a hotel room. Well, they don't know that because... But they do. They walked into the room. There's furniture there. There's the door they just walked through. The furniture seems to disappear. The they're hotel. standing on top of stars and planets like they're not floating in space. The furniture seems to disappear, but it would have been great if like one of them had tripped over the bed <laughs> while they were fighting. That would have been amazing. Look, when they're coming through the door at the top there, you can still see the outside hallway. But it's not like they haven't fought people who could create a door that you walk through it and there's something completely different on the other side. Their fights don't make any sense. Vision sticks his hand through Princess Python. It doesn't hurt her, but then she fills him with snakes? Is that what I'm supposed to read into that yes. caption? Yes, she fills ridiculous. him with snakes. Iron Man's repulsors don't work, but he thinks he can throw a porcelain sink at her I and that's going to... That. Like, I love that he throws so a see, sink at her. So see, clearly the furniture stuff is there. He ripped the sink off the outer space wall and threw it at her. <laughs> And then that breaks the illusion. The dude yelling from down below, beating on the ceiling. Hey, you kids, keep it down. And they, I love the fact that Wasp and Yellow Jacket are then laying on the bed. Like they thought they had been eaten by Toad and now they're laying on the bed. What is, what is Beast squatting over? He's standing over a sun on his hands and knees. Iron Man calls, uh, calls Django Gypsy Davy. <laughs> did you Gypsy look that up? Yeah, I did. That's awesome. Did you? No. It's a song. It's a 1973 Arlo Guthrie song, Gypsy <laughs> Davy. Oh, God. So we now know that Tony Stark likes Arlo Guthrie. He gets <laughs> drunk in his bathtub and sings along. I've only got one more note. Do you have anything else? Other than the fact that all those other people are still sticking around, I just said that the Navashi Stone has, like, the most random powers. It's magic. It's you know, horrible. That's one thing about magic. You don't have to explain it. Horrible. Um, the Scarlet Witch is taking a leave of absence. I cannot wait till Garrick finds out. He's like, here's your team. And by the end of the first day, one of them's like, see ya. Who do they get to replace her? Oh, wait, we know that. 
I don't know. We'll find out next episode. Uh, Actually, I think I mentioned it in my on our next episode. <laughs> any Stan Sopox? Stan Sopox announces that Steve Ditko is returning to Marvel, but offers no details on his projects. I did a little research, and evidently it has something to do with him taking over art duties on Machine Man and Micronauts. It's interesting because Steve Ditko, he mentions how well-known Steve Ditko is for his Spider-Man and Doctor Strange work, <laughs> characters he will never work on again. Right. And then they bring him back to do garbage. Well, it's kind of like Jack Kirby. Right. When Jack Kirby came back, he got ghettoized. Yep. They're like, you draw this stuff no one care about, cares about now. I don't know if that's punishment, but you would have thought that these two people who they liked so much would have been put on high-profile books. Or, what, by 1979, were they realizing that Jack Kirby's and Steve Ditko's styles, they were no longer the way the house style looked. Well, yeah. And I also wonder if the guys are older and maybe a little slower and not as in tune with the comic world, so they're just... I don't want to say they're giving them a handout, but they're like, hey, you guys treated us well earlier, we're going to treat you well now, here's something for you to do. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think Jack Kirby ever slowed down. I don't know about Steve Ditko, but I don't think Jack Kirby knew how to slow down from everything I read about him. Ditko does eventually draw the last two years of ROM. Yeah. He also co-creates Speedball with uh, Tom DeFalco. And he continues to freelance at Marvel until 1994. Is there anything you want to talk about in Bullpen Bolton? No, there is nothing Avengers related. How about... There's a lot of stuff about Howard the Duck. It really is. How about letters? Whoops. Uh, There's a letter from Kurt Busiek, where he thinks that the Beast is poorly written. Yeah, I think this is the first time he's written a letter to the Avengers, but I'm not going to do a biography of Kurt Busiek, because he will eventually write the book. Yeah. He'll write the book for like five or six years. So, we'll wait till then and we'll talk about him then. He'll have much more to say. But it's interesting that, that he wrote here. Um, the mail seems uh, really split over the martyr perplex. I, I can't believe they actually found this many people who liked the manipulator issue. I did find it interesting that Sean Norton says the art reminded him of Gene Colan. I am so in that camp. Did I mention this before? When we I, I, no, I don't think so. And it wasn't until I read that letter that I was like, oh yeah, the stuff with the guy in tattered rags and the downpour and all that. Stuff. What? Yeah, when, I, when we talked about Carmine Infantino way back when and we said he doesn't draw the Avengers, that's because I thought the four issues he drew were drawn by... By Gene Colan because <laughs> he, he draws up in the early 200s and I completely thought those were Gene Colan issues yeah. and they are not yeah he does have a I don't know why because Carmen Infantino's stuff doesn't usually look like that his flash stuff really doesn't it's weird but, and a lot of people echo our thoughts that the issue that the, the that issue the martyr perplex should have been an epilogue to the Korvac saga yeah but we're not the only ones that wondered right. like where did everybody go I am this issue we have a statement of ownership Average circulation for the past year was 162,996. It's about 10,000 less than it was the year before. We were in the 200s. Yeah. Years, years ago. Uh, that's stable, I guess. Yeah. 162. In today's market, 162 is would be great for an average over a year. I think they dip down in the early 80s, don't they? Oh, they yeah. They become almost too. like an invisible title. <laughs> They're not really going to sell really well until... Help us yeah, until yeah. Bendis. Yeah, yeah, until the rumors of the movies and that start. Well, Bendis picks the book up even before the movies were a rumor, even before that. I mean, when he takes over, he picks up the book. I mean, I don't like to admit this because I don't like his stuff, but he does sell books. That's why he wrote the title for so long. I thought it picked up more when Jeff Johns came on before Bendis. I don't know. We'll have to see when we get there, but I'm not so sure. For a long time, it had like. I mean, Jeff Johns was a big name when he came over. And did yeah, Avengers but stuff. I feel like his Avengers run just didn't really get a lot of notice. Uh, MVP? Uh,. I guess Vision for breaking the spell there at the end. Last time I picked the Wasp for her nifty little combat maneuver. Mm. So I don't get to pick that the Wasp one, That one panel. Yeah. Yeah. And while, and while anybody else is fighting, she was getting a little bit of nookie time with her husband on the bed. No, they were freaking <laughs> out. They thought they were dead. That's what they wanted you to think. I'm being digested. Uh, Useless character? Iron Man. I mean, really, this is our team leader? 
He throws sink at, it at an illusion. <laughs> I picked Hawkeye uh, because in, during the fight, he needs to remember to check his six. During the fight, he almost gets blasted. Um, and someone comes to his rescue. I don't remember who it is because he's not paying attention. Mm. Uh, did you have a quote? I did. Favorite line of dialogue taken out of context. Look out. It's a flying sink. I don't know if this is taken out of context, but I love this line. I'm sorry I couldn't get anything from my Ant Buddies, Iron Man. <laughs> Any line with Ant Buddies in it. Uh, Avengers Level Threat? No. I think so, too. <laughs> I, no, it's obviously not. And what did you give this? I gave it a C-. minus. I said it is a very strange plot with a too simple and convenient conclusion. I gave it an A. I know. I don't... It's one of my favorite issues. Oh, my God. That we have read in quite some time. And Ladies let, and gentlemen, this will be the last episode of The Avenging Hour. I want to thank you for listening for this year and a half. <coughs> Let me tell you why I think this is a good... And I think you're looking at it wrong. No, I'm not. I don't think Django is ever supposed to be a threat to the Avengers. I think you, you mentioned about the mannequins. You know, they're, they're not a threat. Well, of course they're not a threat. I think Django is a horribly confused, mixed up man. So the Avengers are fighting a senile old man. With well, puppets. So, so. It's like they're starring in a Rankin-Bass Christmas special. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a question for next week. Um, well, yeah, to an extent. But I also think that you're looking at this this issue wrong because this issue is fun. Do, are, are the fights one-sided? Yes. But are they interesting? No. Yes. Unlike the fights in the last issue where people are just running around punching things, I feel like David... Michelinie really goes out of his way to try and use the characters in different ways. He tries to make the fights more interesting. Things like throwing the sink at Princess Python, which you thought was silly, I thought was amazing. I'm like, yes, please throw more bathroom fixtures at the villains. But because that doesn't that's, make it good. It makes it fun. It makes it dumb. They're having Iron fun. Iron Man did that. Uh, Iron Man, the guy in the technologically superior armor, threw a sink at somebody? There's a difference between dumb and fun. They were standing on space. <laughs> Which is fun. Space had walls and a floor, and they were tricked by that. Well, that's the thing. Because like they went into a fun house and went, oh, I'm disoriented. But here's the thing. They're the Avengers. I know. So they're used to dealing <laughs> with people. That's my point. They're the Avengers. They're better than this. They're used to dealing with people with amazing powers. And so I think they figured, we got to be careful because we don't know what's going on here. Not realizing that this guy is no threat to them. There's no way he could put them out of our space or anything like that. I think they overestimated him because they're used to dealing with Avengers level threats. I think the very fact that he's not an Avengers level threat is part of what makes this issue so good. I think the issue was overwritten and that's what makes it bad. It's and not... they tried to make it seem like they were in peril and it was just an old man. No, I think pretending to be a pirate in space. Com- I think you're completely <laughs> mis You know what? We need to go to a convention with David Michelini at it and we need to hash this out with him. We will. Because I think he wrote a damn good issue, and I think this is a good start to his run. And I think you... Agree to disagree. ...are a Scrooge. Thanks for listening to the podcast for our last episode. <laughs> I don't agree to disagree because you are wrong. We're going to transition into a Rockford Files podcast from here on out because that's the only thing that's entertaining to me now. On our next episode, if we decide to do one, it's a two-part story featuring the Absorbing Man, the first recognizable villain of 1979. We also bring Falcon into the lineup, and Ms. Marvel fills in for Scarlet Witch during her leave of absence. That sounds good. I mean, you won't probably like it. Well, it's got Falcon in it. Because so you don't like anything. I don't think it's going to have a gypsy pirate in space. I mean, how will we ever top that? I do not understand how when the Toad ate the Wasp in Yellow Jacket, you did not go, this is the best comic I've ever read. Do you remember when the Wizard came back from his drunken stupor and was living in a flop house? Uh-huh. 
That was more interesting than this Flophouse scene. Oh my gosh, you are so wrong. How did you get so wrong? See, this is why we need a third person to break these kind of ties. Mm. To tell you, uh, i.e. to tell you when you're wrong. We'd have to hire a minority. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know what? I have a friend who'd like to be on the podcast who happens to be African American. Oh yeah? Who, Tim? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. We should bring Tim on. That would be funny. It would be fun. We should do that. Maybe for a special. Then we'd have to have somebody, we have to make somebody else read these issues, though. I know. That would be unfair. That would be horribly unfair. Well, you know, maybe we can wait until we have something interesting. Or maybe we'll do a special where we would like watch a movie or or we'll do a three-man play. We could act on this issue. We have to get an issue that only has three characters in it. We'll each pick one. Well, there was that issue, just a few. We could do the one with the beast and the... And I could be Perry, the drunk guy at the bar. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we got. It's true. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is mail at avenginghour.com. Social media accounts, uh, Twitter and Instagram are at Avenging Hour. We have a Facebook page, and we also have a webpage, avenginghour.com. And remember, as we start making our way through this holiday season, happy holidays. Go out and drink a lot. <laughs> it's not, it's not.